Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I'm really excited about this episode with Maria Thomas. She is the author of a popular blog called My Life as a Puddle. I'll I'll let you think about what that might mean for a second here. Um, I met Maria at the Truth Teller Tour in Boulder earlier this year. If you recall, I did a previous episode with Kelly McNellis, who's the founder of the Truth Teller Tour. So see how we're all getting connected here? Um, Maria and I were both featured speakers, and our task was to share a truth about ourselves that was not easy to share. So we did that, and it was a very emotional night where the power of sharing these sometimes painful truths was both liberating and an intense connector to others that we didn't even know. So, you know, after the event, Maria realized how important it is to share her story with others, which she hadn't done publicly much before this, um, so that it could not only help others, but it could continue to help herself heal. So she reached out to me and asked if we could delve a little deeper. And here we are. Maria's story starts with her early diagnosis of, dun, 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 back to what I left you with at the beginning, a condition called hyperhidrosis, which means that she is an excessive sweater. Um, and it's a very common condition and, uh, there's a lot to it. And it turns out that, you know, that isn't really the main part of her story. (laughs) She's much more complicated and she has navigated many more hardships throughout her, her short and called tumultuous life, sometimes with a lot of courage and sometimes in fear. Sound familiar to anyone? Um, we recorded in the Skirt Sports Boulder store after hours, surrounded by skirts and bras, successes and failures, the past and the future. It was like a glimpse into the deep guts of one world, my world, while we literally talked about the guts of her world, her literal guts. <laughs> so at this point, In the intro, I would be remiss if I didn't remind you to use our special podcast code, RTWPODCAST15, for 15% off anything at skirtsports.com or come into the Boulder store, said Boulder store, and just let them know the code, your podcast listener. Um, And, you know, with hyperhidrosis, Maria needs dark clothing or prefers dark clothing that wicks moisture like a mother. So she is trying out some items from our Cool It collection. I will let you know how she likes them in case you also have this need. 
Um, when we recorded this interview, I truly only knew a small part of Maria's story. So much of you of, uh, of what you will hear today, I was also hearing for the first time. All right, then with that, let's bring her on. All right. Okay. So, okay, so is anything? Oh, good. <laughs> Yippee. Now I'm sweating. I love it. Well, that's a perfect way to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good times. Of course, you're not nervous for the interview. No, I'm not nervous. Because you have you. done far yeah. greater and more difficult things than sit down and talk yeah. to someone about your difficult things. Right. Right. I've been on stage a couple of times talking about sweat. Uh -huh. Never thought that I would get this far talking about that. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's start by talking about that. Okay. So, um, Maria, welcome. Thank you. This is going to be awesome. I'm so excited to I be know, here. I know. Me too. You know, it's really cool because I had the pleasure of meeting you for the first time uh, backstage at the Truth Teller Tour. Yes. Very meaningful event. Why don't you, uh, let's start talking about sweat then. Like the thing that sort of propelled you into the spotlight and then brought you maybe to that backstage where you shared a little more than just sweat but let's let's just dig right in here let's drip right in <laughs> <laughs> let's drip right in um so about seven years ago i launched my blog called my life as a puddle and it's about the medical condition hyperhidrosis which is excessive sweating and the reason I started a blog was because I was a patient volunteer at a symposium for where dermatologists were learning how to inject Botox. So I volunteered as a patient, had 155 Botox injections in my hands. And at that event, um, there was an organization sponsoring it called the International Hyperhidrosis Society. Wait, did the Botox work? It worked for about three weeks. Uh, but I've heard that you have to get more than one treatment to lengthen the effects. Oh, so it's temporary, but it would right. it ever be permanent or would it just be? It would be a repeatable process. Got it's it. not It's not like a one-time okay. fix. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So keep going. <laughs> um, so the International Hyperhidrosis Society was there. They put on the event and they basically validated me. They looked into my eyes and they touched my sweaty hands and my sweaty feet. And for once, I didn't have to be ashamed of the way that my body behaved. So at what age did you like notice that your body was behaving a certain way? I remember sweating as early as second grade, around age seven. Wow. Um, okay, so at that age, a lot of kids don't really, they don't sweat. They just get right. like red in the face. And so was it like, pit sweat at that young age or how was no it yeah. was my hands and feet so okay. I would be wiping my hands on my Catholic school uniform um, playing games like Red Rover would be really difficult because I couldn't keep a grip on the other classmates hands um, I had a really hard time wearing jelly shoes those plastic shoes oh and those were the best they were the best and my feet oh. slipped and slided around yeah. all over well, it's interesting because I think a lot of people listening are thinking, well, I experience like sweaty palms and sweaty feet maybe at certain times. Sure. I know I do. And I will tell you a funny story. The one and only time I tried to get a Brazilian wax, <laughs> I must have been so nervous that I was drip sweating down my feet, pools of sweat on the table. It, yep. I remember it. It was like a decade ago. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get another one. And plus, it was super painful. But um, yeah, so is that like temporary hyperhidrosis? Or like how, how, do you, so how do you determine if you have this condition? In people with hyperhidrosis, it's, um, it's more episodic. It's not necessarily constant. 
but the sweat is much harder to control. Um, We can be sitting on the couch doing absolutely nothing and our hands and feet will sweat. And it doesn't just affect the hands and feet. People can have craniofacial hyperhidrosis where they sweat on their head or their face. They can have groin sweating. They can have all over body sweating. But it's basically like a faucet that won't turn off. Right. And for a lot of other people who maybe experience it, sometimes it's like emotional or something triggers it, nerves or whatever. Sure. Got it. I think it's important to remember that in people with hyperhidrosis, we're not sweating because we're nervous. We're nervous because we're sweating. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. And that can apply to so many things beyond what we're talking about. Yeah. Like, which is the cause? Right. Right. Um, so second grade, you realize, oh, this is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Or was it weird or was it different or did you accept it? Um, I accepted it, but I it, I was also annoyed by it. Um, I remember taking tests and learning how to write in cursive and the edges of my paper would curl up because my hand would be resting on the paper and Got then it, it would just... Yeah, curl up and and I can shred paper. I can shred napkins like nobody's business if my hands are really that sweaty. Wait, what? Why? Because you get the grip. It's like yeah. If you, I mean, if I'm trying to dry <laughs> off my hands, yeah. the the napkin will just turn into shreds. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. So how does this though like limit you in life? Like, is there is it a limiter? It has been for me in the past, but I try not to let it limit me as much now. Um, why? It, it makes it hard to interact in social situations, um, like a, a networking event, for example. You know, your first impression with someone is the handshake, right? Right. And if I reach across and my hand's dripping wet, that people assume, oh, she's not confident or she's nervous, when really I just can't control the skin that I'm in. Um, job yeah. interviews are, are hard, too. But, you know, I just try and power through it. And now with the advocacy work that I'm doing, it's on my resume so I can legitimately talk about it in those professional situations and actually educate people at the same time. I mean, have you, did kids ever like make fun of you or how did, you know, did you have events like that that made you feel embarrassed or? I was definitely embarrassed. Um, I remember high school prom. I was sitting at the the dinner table and just clutching the tablecloth in my hands so that I wouldn't ruin my dress. Um, And then earlier before the prom, you know, I would kind of give a disclaimer to people so that I was the one bringing it up first so that once people knew, hey, you know, I have really sweaty hands, I'm sorry, but I can't help it. You know, giving that disclaimer, then I didn't have to worry about it as much, but there was still that, that sweaty voice in my brain. So it sounds like it hasn't, you know, having this condition hasn't really like limited you that much in life has it I try not to let it um but I think it can definitely affect the careers um that that I've chosen or not chosen um you know I've talked to other people and they they can't be paramedics because they can't get the surgical gloves on in time uh they can't be members of law enforcement because they can't grip a pistol or grip equipment to do their job Mm mm-hmm Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So part of like your story is that you have this, you know, uh, condition that you've lived with for a long time. Has it, do you view the world in a different way than other people or did you grow up sooner? You know, how would you say it's affected you and your outlook on the world? I think I'm definitely more empathetic toward other people who may have other issues, whether it's a medical condition or they're just 
shy or you know they're going through a rough time I think it definitely makes me more empathetic toward others oh yeah and I mean that comes across like when you guys watch her video we'll put a link in the uh, show notes here Uh, you're gonna see a person who has like very strong emotions and I can just tell that you feel more yeah I'm a highly sensitive soul for sure (laughs) highly sensitive person HSP well okay so let's talk about that okay what does that mean so HSP, highly sensitive person, that's a term coined by psychologist Elaine Aaron. And basically in highly sensitive people, it doesn't mean that we get our feelings hurt easily. We can, of course, but it it means that we're more sensitive and attuned to our environment and we process things more deeply than the average person. And it's actually a gift. Some people don't think it is, but I think it's a gift. So how has it been a gift to you? Um, it lets me get past kind of the superficial things with people. Um, I hate superficial conversations. I would rather go deep. Like I care about the stuff that keeps people up at night, not, you know, what they're going to wear tomorrow. That's a great way to put it. Cut the crap. And we hear this. I mean, a lot of times you hear this from people who've been through something and they just realize there is just not enough time in the world to deal with all the little stuff and the fluff. Right. Right. So maybe we should talk a little bit about some of those things that you've been through that have helped you maybe have heightened the HSP in you. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, so let's bring it on. Um, Well, actually, you mentioned something earlier that may play into this. You mentioned Catholic school. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your youth and... And what role, you know, I'm assuming your family's religious or you're religious or there's some kind of reason that you went to a Catholic school and how that changed your outlook as you became an adult. Yeah, so I went to Catholic school um, kindergarten through second grade down in Phoenix. um, And then my parents got divorced and we moved to Colorado. Um, But I wouldn't say we were necessarily super religious growing up. Um, I kind of found that on my own as an adult. so, yeah, I, I guess I, I would trace my time back to God um, in the last probably four or five years. Went through some major crap, um, got a divorce, um, got sick with ulcerative colitis, went through a deep depression, um, kind of was pissed off at God for a while, and then kind of came back around once I was able to heal my body and get into remission with my ulcerative colitis. Okay, so let's hit these one at a time. Sure. All right, so when did you get married? Uh, 2005. How old were you? I was 25, but I had started dating um, my husband at the age of 17. So my parents were real thrilled about that because he was five years older than me. So I was 17, he was 22. Oh, I was doing it backwards. I'm like, (laughs) you were 12 and he was 17? Weird. Um, But yeah, you know, there's definitely a bit of an age gap. As you get older, who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter now. But 17 to 22, that's, yeah. Yeah. He's legal, you're not. Right. Oh my, you're really (laughs) not legal. Um, Okay, so fall in love. You fell in love with him. You dated him for eight years. And then you got married. Um, we dated seven years, got married. We were married for eight years. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so how did it fall apart? What happened? Um, basically, he was kind of going through his own stuff. Um, I guess you could relate it to like a midlife crisis, so to speak. Um, and a lot of things happened and he was just finally like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be together anymore. And, and we had tried counseling. Um, 
And so I, I had to accept it. I didn't really have a choice. And so we uh, got separated. We lived in the same house for several months until the divorce or until the house sold. And then we filed for divorce. Oh, wow. Um, so when you say a bunch of things happened, what was going on? Um, I actually wrote an essay about this. It's called Alone at My Table, and it won second place in the Denver Women's Press Club Unknown Writers Contest. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so Not unknown anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, you know, and, and I'm just going to put everything out there because, you know, it's it's already out in the world, and, and I'm not ashamed of anything, and, and we've actually grown through it and because of it. And I'll get to that later. Um, but he ended up getting someone else pregnant, and... So we're, we're dealing with that. Um, you know, he is being responsible and, and you know, taking care of things. Um, we, you know, the baby is in a different state and that person moved away. And, you know, so I had a lot of feelings to work through. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. With that. I mean, there's, there's the infidelity, which doesn't escape very many marriages in some form or another right but then there's the permanent part of infidelity when you actually have a child outside of your marriage right and um how did you how did he tell you or did you find out i found out oh yeah brutal i got the found his phone um got the text message that you know she was trying to get a hold of him and and there it was in the text message so did you have any idea something wasn't right with your marriage? We had um, had some trouble and, and we had done some counseling um, and done some young marrieds work through our church at the time. Um, you know, so we were definitely trying for a few years to make things work. And, and I think it was more what he was going through. You know, I own everything that, that I, you know, that happened on my part, but. Right. Yeah. So what, what was there to own for you? Um, I think gosh that's a hard question um well i mean but i get it i'll let you think about it for a minute because i'll explain a little more you know when when you feel like oh he was cheated on or she was cheated on or whatever it's all that person's fault mm -hmm. which it's not i mean there are issues that usually cause someone to act out in a marriage and it usually comes down to not being able to communicate with each other what's right. going on and therefore you know one person tries to seek connection somewhere else you right. know it's just how far down the road that gets right and why are we so afraid to tell each other that we're not feeling connected or something's annoying right. us or whatever it is that builds into a full-fledged disconnect yeah that's a good point i i think definitely my communication wasn't the best at times um and i think because i was trying so hard to make the marriage work I wasn't also working on myself at the same time and pursuing the things that made me happy and the things that interested me right and so it was all kind of hyper focused on the marriage at the time um, so I'm definitely now better at confrontation healthy confrontation healthy communication setting boundaries asking for what I need and also not expecting the other person to fulfill all of my needs that is a really good point because they can't right they can't it's they, impossible they kind of can't really fill any because you're the one who's in control of your own needs right i mean you can ask for things you would like but yeah right. oh my gosh i and i mean i can relate a million times over to you know not sometimes it comes down to just not having the courage to have hard conversations yeah and when you don't have the first hard conversation, then you just start bottling. 
right? I got real good at that. Oh, you <laughs> and then it just explodes, right? How? And you're an HSP. Yes. You're a bottled up HSP. Oh, that really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um. So so you guys got divorced mm-hmm. but you lived together that had to be like an awkward transition super awkward uh he stayed in the basement i stayed upstairs um were you like did you guys have that moment of like this can't be happening like you see his phone and you're like oh shit yeah i felt it was like the twilight zone for a while there um and i just tried to be the best person that i could be during that time and and just try to you know not do anything that I would be ashamed of and I'm sure I made mistakes along the way but I really tried tried hard not to be hateful um of course I was upset and I was owning that and I was in counseling at the time but trying not to be act out you know the same way that that I felt inside if that makes sense oh yeah I mean you have a huge leg up because you're already in counseling yeah um what were your other coping mechanisms healthy or unhealthy Um, I definitely spent more time with friends, um, tried to just schedule myself as much as I could, even though I, as an introvert, I, I prefer, you know, some downtime and, and quiet, you know, reading and things like that. Um, I filled up an entire journal going through this and just writing out everything, just doing kind of a big brain dump at the end of the day. So it wasn't circling in my head. Um, oh, that's good because it's yeah. those kind of obsessive compulsive thoughts. Right. Your brain can really go to the dark side. Right. Okay, so journaling helped get that journaling out. Journaling helped a lot. Um, and I did have some wine now and again and maybe half of a Xanax because I couldn't sleep, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but that was short-lived and just, you know, some, some friends got me through it and some of those friends are no longer in my life and... Because That's a whole other were, story. Oh, well, <laughs> honestly, yeah. though, I mean, I think people come into our lives for a reason. I mean, w- yeah. was there like a major falling out? Like, you are very unhealthy for me or? No, one one friend ended up moving away with her okay. family. Um, and I found out about it on Facebook and, and never got to officially say goodbye. Um, and then another one, just I felt very judged by her. You know, I, I had invited her out with with me and and another guy that I had been dating at the time and she didn't go and you know I just felt very judged okay so so okay so you're moving yourself through this uh traumatic time in your life Mm -hmm. um when I when you first came came over today and by the way we're interviewing at the skirt sports store which is so cool um we talked a little bit about the fact that you are back in a relationship with your ex-husband yes so how do you come back together through this? Um, this is definitely not a story that I would see myself telling or happening to me. Um, except you're doing except it right I now. Am. Yeah, no, except <laughs> I am. Like this is, it really happened. Um, and it's a huge lesson in forgiveness and um, what God can do in your life. Um, again, I'm not super religious. Um, I do believe in God and, and I read the Bible and we go to church. Um, but several events happened after the divorce. Um, my sister was graduating from college and I got a phone call from my husband, well, ex-husband at the time. And he said, you know, my cousin was just murdered. And so I'm on the phone, standing in the middle of a football field at my sister's graduation and just in absolute disbelief. Um, and yeah, so his cousin was murdered. And so three days later, I was on a plane 
to the service. Um, I was still introduced by his side of the family as their niece. I read a poem at the service. And so that kind of tragedy brought us back together. And then, so I was there for three days visiting him because he had moved out of state at the time. And, you know, I left at the end of that weekend and didn't really want to leave because all those feelings were still there for him. Well, yeah. And for you too, because you went. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's one of those moments when you cut out the fluff. Something real just happened. Very tough. I need the people who mean the most to me in my life to be there for me. Mm-hmm. He called you. Right. And you went. And I went. Yeah. I mean, they. I still consider them my family. You know, still had, you know, heavy feelings for him. And, and so I went. And then um, a few months after that, um, we had been going back and forth, visiting each other state to state. And we started going to church down down where he lived and we were watching one of the church services at the same time i was in colorado he was in texas and it was about the super summer baptism series and so i remember watching the video thinking gosh wouldn't it be cool like if he called and and said hey let's get baptized and then sure as shit, like 30 minutes later he calls and he's like hey i want you to come down here next weekend i'm like okay why he's like i want to get baptized and this whole time, Whoa. the whole time we were married, he he wasn't atheist. He was more agnostic. And I was kind of dragging him along with me to church, to the young marrieds group and stuff. Um, and I told him when we were going through the divorce, you know, if it takes us getting divorced for you to find God, then I accept that. And that's basically what happened. And wow. so that the whole power of forgiveness and, you know, what faith can do, faith can move mountains and... So now we have our faith together that we can rely on to wow. help get us through the tough times going forward. You know, uh, I forget who it is, a powerful TED speaker who speaks about relationships. It's a woman and how we can often have three or four, I'm saying in quotes, like marriages or strong relationships throughout our life. And it's up to us to decide if they will be with different people or the same person. Right. So the idea being that you are finding each other all over again at different times in your life and reconnecting, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Usually you don't actually get divorced to do that. Right. <laughs> and then back together. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing. And so what about you were the things that he felt weren't compatible that now are? Gosh, you know, you mentioned like a midlife crisis or he wasn't happy. Like, what, what did you have to work on and change? I think, well, for him, it, he, he's said in the past that it was more of an ego thing for him. He was looking to have his ego filled. He was a professional mountain bike racer at the time. So he was constantly as an athlete training and racing and performing and, mm-hmm. you know, getting podium finishes Um, And so he was just constantly looking for attention to feed his ego and he was getting attention elsewhere, you know, and and me on the other side, it was hard because he was constantly gone. You know, we both worked full-time jobs. He would come home, go ride for three to four hours, come home late and do it all over again. And then our weekends were consumed with races. Um, So yeah, you know, it it got to a point where I got fed up with, with that and didn't feel that I was a priority 
Right. So you're starting to get resentment. Right. So as you move forward and you know that maybe in another eight years of being married, maybe something else will rear its ugly head. Like how do you avoid going all the way down the rabbit hole or the slippery slope? You know, what are you going to do to stay connected or stay on top of things? I think now we have really good open communication. Um, And I told him when we got back together, like, I'm not taking your shit anymore. So if something is upset or if something upsets me, I will tell you. I'm not going to be afraid of that confrontation or that hard conversation. This is really interesting because, I mean, I can relate to just being sort of the lesser career in a dual career household. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you felt that way, but he had this more high profile career, right? Definitely. And, um... And you start to build your life around the other person's pursuits and yes. sometimes forgetting also what you need. And you had mentioned that earlier. Right. 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 So these are huge things. I mean, congratulations. Thank you. For like aligning again. Yeah. Are you aligned? We're aligned now. Wow. And now he is really good at supporting me because I'm starting to grow my blog and my social media influencing and, and kind of my pursuits and you know Abs- gonna, you certainly are you can be writing a book I'm going to be writing a book this year that's I've got a, a pretty good start on and I've got an outline going now and I just need to sit down and actually write the thing wow um, but he's really good about supporting me now because it's kind of my turn in a sense it is and yeah. I think that's healthy yeah. I mean you can both have super high powered careers at the same time but it is hard for both of you to feel supported by each other. Right. You'd have to build some other network. I mean, Tim and I go through the same thing. You mm-hmm. know, it's sort of my time to push my career. He pushed his for many years as a triathlete, you know? Right. That's how it goes. And But the other person has to accept that. And ego is a dangerous thing. Oh, it is. Yeah. So once you're through this part of your career, you're going to have to let go of your ego if he wants to roll back around. <laughs> um so okay so you also mentioned that during this like dark period a bunch of crap hit the fan yeah the divorce the finding out about you know fathering a child um getting back together how long did that all take uh about a year and a half okay so pretty quick it wasn't like 10 years later no i mean you're not that old i'm looking at you so (laughs) um (laughs) i'm 38 Oh, awesome. Welcome to Almost 40. Thank you. You are in a really great time of life. Um, But you also mentioned that you were diagnosed with, um, you called it ulcerative colitis? Yeah, UC for short. Um, It was kind of the perfect storm for the diagnosis to happen because ulcerative colitis, it's an inflammatory bowel disease. It's an autoimmune condition. And so stress can trigger symptoms. And that's exactly what happened. I was diagnosed while going through the divorce. Wow. Okay. So what are symptoms? Um, Gas, bloating. Um, I had blood in my stool. And that was when I was like, oh, God, something's really wrong. Well, and like the last thing you want when you're like, oh, my God, am I not like sexy enough? Am I not, you know, you're doubting yourself. Oh, yeah. To be like, and now I've got gas, like nothing else. You know, I mean, definitely that's hard. That is it's such a hard thing because it probably, like you said, tress, stress triggered it. So did it come out of nowhere? I think it was probably an underlying condition. I mean, I, I always had problems, um, you know, bowel issues ever since I was little. 
Um, you know, when I was three years old, I pushed so hard that I pushed my rectal muscles out. I can't believe I'm talking about this, but whatever. No, um, I mean, this is like, <laughs> this stuff happens. And some yeah. of us have kids who are three who can't yeah. poop and we're like, push it out. But that's not the yeah, right thing so to do. I pushed so hard that I pushed my rectal muscles outside of my body. And my mom had to take me to the emergency room and they had to push them back in. And then they blew up a surgical glove like a balloon for me and I was fine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, I was little when issues started. So through this whole diagnosis and I'm now in remission, I've really learned to listen to my body and to overhaul my diet. I'm not 100% clean yet on my diet because we live in a state that has amazing craft beer and I like beer. So what are, yeah, Um, so what, what, is this sort of, is it akin to irritable bowel syndrome? Are they like friends or cousins? They're kind of like, they're kind of friends. Yeah. But I, I would say frenemies, frenemies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, IBD is definitely more serious. Um, Okay. You know, it's an autoimmune condition. So I went paleo last year, um, which is, you know, gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, so you eat meats and vegetables. Yes. Can you yeah. eat fruits too? I can eat fruits, but I try to not eat the too many limit. of them because of the sugars. Yeah. And the fiber. Is the fiber an issue? Uh, fiber is good for you me. You want fiber. Yeah, you want fiber. Leafy greens are good. Leafy greens are good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and seeing a functional medicine doctor was what really helped me. Okay. So if you're experiencing like, and your body changes as you're, as you move you know, move on in this life, right? right? Like how we are at 38 is not how we were at 28. Yeah. And your stress triggers change and the environment changes. And the food you eat, all our foods are changing and yes. not necessarily in a good way. Agreed. So if you're feeling something and you're like, my gosh, I've been like super gassy for like three months and I can't figure it out. Would you recommend going to functional medicine? I would. Um, When I was having my ulcerative colitis flare and was actually hospitalized for it, not once did the GI doctor that I was seeing say, gosh, you know, you might want to avoid gluten or dairy and this whole leaky gut thing. I had leaky gut. That's a real thing. What is that? Leaky gut is um, where the muscles in your intestines, um, they're really tight together. And so leaky gut is when those muscles pull apart and okay. so what you're eating and digesting can go through your blood and into directly into your bloodstream so i had to heal my gut with the help of a functional medicine practitioner i was on a lot of different supplements i overhauled my diet um i had yeast overgrowth and so i was on an oral prescription med for two weeks and had um, die-off symptoms and it basically felt like i had the flu because my body and the medication was killing off the yeast overgrowth and that just sounds so gross too yeah, and all was, women. That was a rough couple weeks. We all, oh, as women, we all deal with this thing called yeast. Everyone does. Oh yeah. But women, you know, some of us can get that sort of overload, which I think they call can, candidi candidiasis. How do yes, you pronounce can, it? I think candidiasis. Okay. Yeah. Good, I did it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which you know, I don't think it's that abnormal, but when it's constant or inflaming or making another situation way worse. Right. I mean, you got to deal with it. So it sounds like you've learned a lot about gut health. I have. I'm totally nerding out on books right now about gut health. Oh, so let's talk a little bit about it. I mean, I think there's like a link from your gut health to your brain health. Absolutely. Okay. So if you're feeling like maybe some depression or anxiety, could it potentially be that you want to treat your gut? 
I, I would say yes. That's basically what happened to me. Um, I think the statistic is like 85 or 90 percent of your body's serotonin is manufactured in your gut. So if your gut is raging red and inflamed and unhappy, your brain has the potential to not be happy either. Got it. So I, my gut and brain were not communicating in the way they should be. And I wasn't absorbing any nutrients from my food at the time of my ulcerative colitis flare. So I got, I got into a really bad situation. So what, what did that look like for you? Um, I had just moved down to Texas um, to be with my husband. He had already relocated there for his job and, and the long distance thing after we got back together again just got too hard. So I moved down there. So it was kind of another perfect storm for me. New city, new job, driving around for my job in crazy traffic. And um, a marriage that's still a little bit maybe sensitive. Yeah, and the, and the marriage part of it w- was going well. It was just the new city, the new job, um, stress from the job. And so that kind of triggered my flare and I had really bad symptoms again. Um, I was basically having blood and mucus in the toilet for two weeks straight. And oh. the night that I went to the emergency room, I left a trail of blood and mucus on the bathroom floor. Oh, that so sucks. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So I said, you know, Brian, I think we, we need to go to the ER. And so I spent Easter weekend in the hospital. Um, and when was this? This How was long? 2016. Okay. Yeah. So just over two years ago. Um, And then I came home from that and was just, you know, I had been depressed already. You know, I was homesick, missed my family, missed my friends. And then everything just kind of catapulted into this hospitalization. And then I came home and was just really not in a good place, like having trouble just even getting myself off the couch, you know. So you start exhibiting like serious signs of depression? Yeah. um, And And I would assume maybe your support network or your friends weren't quite developed down there yet? Right. I had a couple of friends um, that we would play golf with, um, but not not super close friends like I have here. Right. Yeah. So it was really just a perfect storm. And I I got to the point where I felt like I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, It wasn't that I wanted to die. I just wanted the pain and the anxiety to go away. And it got to the point where I had a gun out and almost could have died. And thank God I didn't. Uh, so did you try to commit suicide uh the gun was not pointed at my head when it went off so but you pulled the trigger i pulled the trigger you woke yourself up yeah and you know i was always the person who had her shit together right i never saw this coming on my life's path and no one else did either and at that time i didn't I don't think I did a a good enough job seeking help. I was, I had a couple of appointments with a psychiatrist down there, um, but it just, it wasn't enough at that time. And so I ended up on a flight home to Colorado a couple of hours later, spent the night at my parents' house, you know. So you recognized, was your husband home at this time? No, I called him right afterward and said, you need to come home. Here's what happened. He called my parents on the way home. Yeah. So you knew you were basically giving yourself a cry for help. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then reaching out, which is the hardest thing for people, you know, super hard. But you reached out to your husband first and and it Mm -hmm. just set off the next stage. The next stage. Yeah. 
and I had to wait a few hours to go home because I was waiting for my first FedEx shipment of my new medication because of my ulcerative colitis. Oh my God, so the I've details. Got, I've got the doctor calling. I've got the nurse hotline calling because I'm on an injectable biologic medication now. So I had to learn how to self-inject. So all of that swirling through my head after being in the hospital, it was just, it was too much. Wow. So I got on a plane, came home, spent the night at my parents, begged them for one night in my old room. And then I checked myself in t- to a mental facility for se- a 72 hour hold. So you had enough strength and self-awareness to check yourself in yes wow how are your parents they were absolutely freaked out then were Um, they supportive supportive absolutely of getting me home and then getting me into the facility um you know and there were there were a lot of feelings around that whole thing you know they thought that you know maybe it was brian's fault and it wasn't this was this was in my body that whole gut brain health connection um for me, it w- this was a situational depression, not a chronic or clinical depression. Had you ever experienced a situational depression before? Not to this extent. I mean, you know, going through the divorce, like, of course, that sucked. Right. Yeah. Um, but I was still functioning, going to work, hanging out with friends. You weren't having thoughts of like, I wasn't, maybe it'd be better if I wasn't here. No, definitely not. Wow. You know, and I would be driving around in my car for my new job and and I had anxiety and the whole bit. It was just, it was bad. So let's just stop for a minute and say, how are you today? Today, I am amazing. What a great answer. What does that mean? I am living my truth, not cheating on my future with my past um that's a quote from angela davis she's the founder of soul cycle i went on a cruise last summer and she she kept saying don't cheat on your future with your past or stop cheating on your future with your past and that was kind of the catalyst for me to be able to tell this story about my depression and suicide attempt you cannot tell a story like you like you underwent unless you fully accept it right and you don't seem hung up on guilt. You're not crying. You're emotional. I mean, there's emotion yeah. tied in. Yeah. Because you know how close you came. Mm-hmm. So how do you come to the point of acceptance? Did this happen over time after you checked into the hospital? Or were you in a, were you in a haze for a while? For, for a little while, yeah. Um, I barely remember the flight home. Um, the next probably two weeks, I was just just kind of flatlined, you know, non-emotional. Where did they medicate you right away too? Um, I was on one antidepressant for a little while and then I didn't feel like that was working. So then my psychiatrist added another one. So I was on two antidepressants for about three months and then tapered off of the one and was on one for about a year. And, you know, I don't, I don't have experience with antidepressants. I think there's a lot of different opinions, especially from people who've never used them, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, What's your opinion on long-term or short-term use or how did, yeah, how did they help you and how do you see them playing a role in our society? Yeah, I think they can definitely help people. Um, I would still say as a last resort, there are a lot of other options to try first, but I was in such a bad place because of my gut health or my lack thereof that medication did help me. 
Um, you know, there are lots of warnings on antidepressant labels can increase the risk of suicidal thoughts. Um, so that's that's something to be aware of. But, yeah. you know, under the licensed care of medical professionals, they helped me. And I don't feel any shame in using them. And I think if people need them and and have a chemical imbalance that they need to correct with the help of modern science, I'm fine with that. That's awesome. You know? So you reached this point of acceptance. Was there like, are you like now like a bolder paleo meditating, you know, <laughs> not obviously you're still drinking your microbrews, you know, but like how, how did you reach this point? What it's, tools and methods helped you? It's been quite the process. Um, last year, I think the catalyst for the confidence level that I have now that came about, um, when I applied to become an Oprah Magazine insider. So I was a brand ambassador for a year for O Magazine. And they picked 50 people nationwide, and I was one of the 50 people. And I just about had a heart attack when I opened that email that said, Welcome to O's Inner Circle. So through that year, um, I participated in a lot of things that I never would have. I went on a cruise. Um, I had to pay for the cruise myself, but I was a model in a Chico's fashion show on board. Adam Glassman, the creative director, styled me. Um, so just being, again, externally validated, but now I've learned that I didn't need any of that to begin with. Like, I can validate myself. But having that confidence boost last year um, really propelled me into not being afraid to put myself outside of my comfort zone to ask for what I need and just keep pushing. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here in front of you if I didn't say, hey, Nicole, can I come on your podcast? I know that's true. You know, <laughs> you were awesome. <laughs> yeah. So just just validating myself and, and using the talents that I've yeah. been given to help other people. Um, I actually think there's so much to this on both sides. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the power we have in, within ourselves to help others, too. And just showing someone else that you have the confidence that they can do it, whatever it is, right. can make a huge difference, just like it did for you. Mm -hmm. It's a pay it forward. <laughs> exactly. You're on the hero's journey. You're coming through the yeah. other side. Um, so I actually want to want to go back a little bit to gut health because I actually think we could educate some people on just exactly how they can clean themselves up because you don't have to have ulcerative colitis to have a better balanced gut. Right. So, you know, we read about probiotics and prebiotics and no gluten and no this and no that. Like, what would you, what advice would you give to people as like maybe a, a few foundational things they can do? I would say definitely increase your fiber intake. Um, Probiotics are awesome. I take them every night. Uh, what else? And what form of probiotics? Um, mine are just capsules. Uh, you can get them, you know, at, at any health food store. Do you want the ones in the fridge? I, the ones in the fridge are the what I I take, like yeah. the liquid form or the you said capsules. capsules. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I would say um, gluten. Even if you're not celiac or technically allergic to gluten. When you eat gluten, it releases a hormone called zonulin, and zonulin is what breaks apart those tight junctures in your gut, which can create or contribute to leaky gut. Got it. Yeah. There's a lot of great books out there. Um, Dr. Perlmutter, The Green Brain, Green Brain Whole Life Plan, um, No 
no paint. What is it called? Something. It's wheat. There's a wheat book. Um, forgetting the guy's don't name. eat wheat <laughs> <laughs> hey i eat wheat so i don't know but i mean i i do think also you can limit some of the things that are known irritants right sure, sure. so even if you're like i don't want to give up 100 percent of gluten because i like my burger buns or whatever yeah i mean everything in moderation right? right like i still let myself have you know a hamburger with a normal bun instead of a gluten-free bun sometimes right, you right. know if totally. i feel like having a beer i'll have a beer um, what about sugar? Oh, sugar is bad because sugar contributes to yeast overgrowth. Crap. I know. We're all screwed. We're all um, screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And sugar is, they've done studies what sugar does to your brain. It's like a drug. It is. You know? So are there healthy forms of sweeteners? Um, I like stevia. It's mm-hmm. plant-based. Yep. Um, I don't like agave nectar as much, but that's also an option. Honey is an option. Maple syrup? Maple syrup is good. Um, okay. And honey <laughs> is good, too, for allergies. Did you like I was sort of begging, please, maple syrup? I make paleo oh, yeah. cookies with, with maple syrup, so it's yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, and, you know, for everybody listening, like, if you are suffering from, say, depression or anxiety and it's not at a point of um, you know needing to seek immediate attention. Trying some things like changing your diet, it's a good place to start, yeah. right? And getting the healthy fats too: avocados, coconut oil, taking a you know an omega three, omega six fish oil supplement that yeah. can help too. Great. So if people have questions, can they reach you? How? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> How can there I is you? there is a contact form on my blog. So if you go to mylifeasapuddle.com, there will be a contact tab up in the top of the screen. Cool. And we'll link to that too in the show notes so you guys can find Maria. So, you know, one last thing to just sort of bring it all the way around. So through this entire, you know, life all the the situations you've been through and the evolution you've gone through, you manage to maintain your hyperhidrosis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Or, yeah. So how was did that play a role at all, or come come out and bear its ugly head, rear its ugly head? There were definitely more situations I was placed in where I was worried about it, like on the cruise, standing up on stage as a model, and it was a Christmas miracle. I did not sweat. Got um, it. But then just a few months ago at the Truth Teller Tour in Boulder, which yeah. is how you and I met, right. um, I did sweat up on stage and Kelly's phone was sitting on the podium where I was reading. And I was like, oh my God, please don't let me drip all over her phone. And I didn't get it on her phone, but I did leave a few little sweat drops behind <laughs> on the podium. <laughs> well, and I um, love that you had your speech in a uh, plastic sleeve. Oh yeah. You got to carry that stuff around. We, yeah. We sweaters think of everything ahead of time. And like, do, do the colors of clothing that you buy, is that affected too? Definitely. Yeah. Um, most people with hyperhidrosis prefer black or dark colors. Yeah. Um, and then material that is sweat absorbent. So like right. jeans would be better than, you know, a prom dress that's made out of silk. Or skirt um, sports. Skirt sports <laughs> are definitely <laughs> sweat friendly, I, w- I would have to say. Um, oh, my gosh. This is great. Yeah. So so as we start, start wrapping it up, you know, I know you want to bring some awareness to hyperhidrosis, but also like you have just been so amazingly brave to open up to all of all of the things you shared that are not comfortable. Right. That most people want to just shove back in the closet mm-hmm. and not face. Um, is there anything we left out? Um, 
I, I guess just talking a little bit more about my blog, um, you know, 5% of the global population suffers from hyperhidrosis. And I think that statistic is actually underreported because there is a lot of shame and embarrassment around hyperhidrosis. So I'm out in the open talking about it. I've been doing this from a grassroots perspective for the last seven years. And so if you're out there and you think you might have hyperhidrosis, come visit my website. You know, my story is your story and you're not alone. You know, I've got a community around this and and I want to help people. So I'm making my sweaty mess my message. I love that. Your sweaty mess. (laughs) Well, let's, um, let's wrap it then with the same question I ask every guest who comes on the show, which is if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I'll start with a quote from my favorite writer, Um, poet Dr. Maya Angelou she says I can be changed by my circumstances but I refuse to be reduced by them so I would say to everyone out there you have a choice every day whether you're going to rise above or stay below and just take take that one next step to become a better person whatever that might look like for you I love it rise above that's right rise up Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, I am back. Um, I just love Maria. I think about what she was able to share today, and it makes me so proud and grateful. Grateful that Maria gave herself a wake-up call. Uh, Grateful that she's so willing to be open about difficult topics, like very difficult topics that many people are too embarrassed to mention. It really does help people feel less alone when they know that others have been there. There are so many life situations uh, that you could connect with her on and so many nuggets in this episode. I'd love to hear your favorites. If you want to actually connect with Maria, be sure to contact her through her website, mylifeasapuddle.com. I love her tagline, creating hyperhidrosis, hope and awareness, one drop at a time. Um, And I'll leave you by repeating her final nugget. You have a choice every day whether you are going to rise above or stay below. Just take that one next step to become a better person, whatever that might look like for you. All right then, everyone. You know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.